Enemy of the State At the age of 15, Fred Yendel donated $10 to the Aid Russia Fund and lived to regret it. The fact was brought up as evidence against him five years later, when he was expelled from college. The reason for his dismissal was that he had been reading subversive literature. He had borrowed Das Kapital from the school library. The book, among others, was later withdrawn to save others from temptation, but by that time Fred had become mixed up with an abortive world peace movement whose membership consisted of equal parts of fellow travellers, intellectual communists, and idealistic adolescents. He resigned after a few months, sick of the one-sided propaganda, but that didn't help him when he applied for security clearance so as to take up a minor post with the government. The investigators turned him down flat, branded him as a suspected subversive, and effectively damned him. At the age of twenty-five he had married, a marriage which produced no children, no happiness, and a divorce after eighteen months. Ten years later he was dismissed from his job as a clerical worker, attached to a firm contracting for the government. He had worked in the same job for twelve years, handling nothing even remotely connected with defence, and so appealed to his union. The union held an inquiry, discovered that Fred had been discharged because he was considered a bad security risk, and promptly expelled him from the union. He appealed. The appeal was thrown out of court, and the costs effectively ruined him. The next fifteen years followed the pattern in ever-decreasing circles. Security had damned him, and security, in importance, had become second only to God. At the age of fifty, Fred Yentl arrived in Almushta with six hundred dollars, a three-day beard, and one small suitcase. He was a slight man. His shoulders stooped, his eyes weak, his suit baggy. He walked along the platform, the suitcase pulling him down one side, and his thin hair blowing in the desert wind. To most people he was a mild, inoffensive, rather pathetic figure. To the security cop he was something to justify his existence. He stepped forward and barred Yentl's passage. All right, you. What have you got in that suitcase? What? Fred halted. Nothing much. Just a few samples. Open it up. Why should I? Fred took a tighter hold on the case. I'm doing no harm. Just walking towards the restroom. No harm in that, is there? It's a free country, isn't it? Sure, said the cop. And we want to keep it that way. Now open up, or I'll run you in. What for? Hampering security in the course of its investigations, said the cop shortly. I want to see what's in that case. Fred hesitated. Then, setting down the case, snapped the catches and opened the lid. I'm a traveller in electronic equipment, he said. Transistor radios and tape recorders. This is a universal tape recorder. It will record, playback, sound mix, and blend at various speeds. The price is, save it, snapped the cop. He stared at the neat layout in the case. Suspiciously, he turned a switch, listened to a burst of music, turned another, and heard a businessman dictating a letter. I've got it loaded with tapes for demonstration purposes, said Fred. He rubbed at his chin. I want to leave it here while I get shaved and cleaned up ready for an interview. He looked at the cop. Can I go now? The security cop nodded. He had no Geiger, no specialized knowledge, and thought, like most people, 
that an atom bomb was something as big as a ten-ton truck. Fred shut the suitcase, picked it up, continued his journey to the check baggage section of the station. He inserted coins into a locker, opened it, put the suitcase into the metal cubicle, set the combination lock, and slammed the door. He had paid for two days. At the end of that time, unless he either inserted more coins or removed the case, the locker would open and the contents be removed to the general depository.